You know, when you think about running a race, folks, we can run a race. We can do our portion of the race as well as anybody. We can be the very best. We can be world class. We can literally be unparalleled. But if this doesn't get passed, it's as almost as if we didn't even run. Watch and see. When they sought to hand the baton, he was in first place. At, at that moment, the United States was better than everybody else, right up to the point that they had to hand off the baton. You might have heard them say that that team held the world record, that team held the Olympic record. Not only as a team, but as individuals, they were all superstars in their own right. As a team, as individuals, they were unparalleled in a moment. But in the 2008 Beijing Olympics, when it came to handing off this baton, it was as if they didn't even run. You see, when you drop the baton, you're not a loser. You have to cross the line to lose. When you drop the baton, you're disqualified. You're not even an official finisher of the race. And folks, for the church, our disqualification is not, not batons laying on a track. But our disqualification is, is hundreds of large, ornate, magnificent cathedrals that cover the continent of Europe and sit empty. As secular humanism, atheism, and now Islam is sweeping over that continent. I think it'd be a fair question, wouldn't it, to say, is that the path we're on? Is, is that what is happening in the United States of America, as we see the church grow increasingly irrelevant to society, as we see the, that, that faith is, is no longer promoted. You know, Karen and I, when we were in seminary, this would have been the late 80s, early 90s. We were a part of a church called East Grand Baptist Church there in, in East Dallas, and uh, it had about 350 is what it would average in worship on a Sunday morning. Now, 350 is a, is, is a large church. Did you know that 80% of Americans that will sit in a church this morning will be sitting in a congregation of less than 75? We, we probably forget that in here. But 8 out of 10 Americans who go to church today will be sitting in a congregation with less than 75 people in it. So 350 is a lot. But you know what? It didn't feel like a lot. 350 didn't feel like a lot in a sanctuary that held 2,000. I don't know quite the history of that church. I know what was going on when we were there, but apparently its heyday was in the 60s and the 70s. Man, they, they loved the Lord. They served the Lord. They worshiped. They gave. They, they witnessed. They did a great work to, to impact East Dallas. But, but somewhere... Along the way, they lost sight of handing this off. The church, to my knowledge, had no big record of sin, no big wrong that had been done. It never, never turned liberal. I mean, at least right up to the time we were there, they were preaching and teaching the Word of God. But somewhere they lost sight of handing this off. I, matter of fact, preparing for this sermon, I thought, you know, I hadn't thought, I hadn't looked at anything at East Grand in a long time, and I Googled it and, and found out the church is no longer in existence. 
The only thing I could find was, a, was an article in the Dallas Observer from 2010 that just reported on, this, on the sale of this large, historic Old Baptist Church in East Dallas. Disqualified. Out of the race. A church, not capital C, but little c, a church dies. Somewhere, they lost sight. I don't know how that happens, but I know this, that the church that will have the greatest impact, the longest ongoing impact, is going to be a church that values and prioritizes reaching the next generation. That would seem somewhat obvious, wouldn't it? And yet, this is not just a problem for the United States or a problem for Europe or a, or a problem for modern history. This appears to be a problem that God's people have had throughout history. Getting that baton passed. Let me show you how far it goes back. Would you look with me this morning in your Old Testament, Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. If you'll start in the front and start thumbing to the right, go through Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and then Judges. Judges chapter 2, I'm going to look at verse 7 and following. Judges chapter 2, verse 7. It says there, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Hariz, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountains of Gaish. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, Or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, that generation of Joshua, they are perhaps the generation that saw more the work and the power of God than maybe any group of people that have ever walked on this earth. Now, when I say the generation of Joshua, picture Joshua, a a, a young adult, maybe moving into a median age adult, but picture his generation as more the children and the youth. The children and the youth that were in Egypt when when God brought those ten plagues and devastated that nation and led Israel out of their bondage, out of slavery. Think of those, that four-year-old, that 12-year-old that walked through the Red Sea, that walked through those walls of waters. How impressive, how frightening, how amazing that must have been. And they walked through those waters and they headed out into the wilderness on the way to the promised land after seeing this incredible power of God. But I think then to everybody's amazement, the moms and the dads, the grandparents, after seeing all that, didn't didn't believe that God could take care of them moving them into the promised land. And that led to to that generation having to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But even even in the wandering, even in the wilderness, these kids, these youths saw God providing, saw that manna. 40 years in the wilderness, their shoes never wore out. 
Forty years in the wilderness, their clothes never wore out. Pretty soon, those moms and dads, those grandparents had all passed away. And that four-year-old that walked through the Red Sea, that 12-year-old that walked through the Red Sea, they're now adults and they're following Joshua. And as they head into the promised land, the Jordan River parts. Boy, don't you know that brought back some memories. As they walk through that river on dry ground, how did their mind not race back 40 years earlier to walking through the Red Sea? What a way to quicken that faith. They followed Joshua and they saw the walls of Jericho fall. Then they saw God defeat one nation after another to provide for them their promised land. Let me say it again. There may not be another group of people that have more witnessed the power and the word and the greatness of God's work in this world than this generation. But then Joshua died. So, so did the leaders around Joshua. So did that generation. Finally, there would have been that last one. That last one alive that had walked through the Red Sea. I wonder if they knew who it was. Don't we, you know, don't we mark generations that way? Don't we keep up the last WW1 vet? You know, we, we mark it by these, these events. We say, that was the last one. I wonder if they knew. That was that old boy over there. He was the last one to actually walk through the Red Sea. Well, I say I wonder if they knew. I I guess reading the passage we'd have to assume they didn't know. They didn't know when that last one passed away. But when he or when she did, it said a generation came behind them that didn't know the Lord. And the result was that evil accelerated. Evil accelerated. You know what's interesting about the passage? I don't know if you noticed this. It didn't assign blame. Nobody was blamed for that. It it didn't tell us, was it the negligence of the older generation? Was it the apathy of the younger generation? It doesn't say who was at fault for that baton not being passed. While it doesn't assign blame though, the Scriptures clearly give us a responsibility. Let me show you that responsibility. You heard it in the the, uh, sermon introduction we heard there just a moment ago. Turn to Psalm 78. Go to your right into the Psalms. Psalm 78 and look at verse 4. Psalm 78 verse 4. It says there, we will not hide them, and them is the works of God, the teachings of God, the law of God. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might, and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, that what happened back in Judges chapter 2 might never happen again, that children yet unborn, hold on to that statement, that children not even born would arise and tell them to their children so that they should, and here's the purpose of handing the baton, folks, so that they should set their hope in God. God clearly gives responsibility to the current church, to the current generation, 
to to prioritize the passing of the baton to that next generation. And, And I want you to notice again, it actually says we're to be thinking so far out into the future, we're thinking about children not born. You know, when you, when you hear that phrase, you know, passing it to the next generation, do we not think of the 75-year-old grandparent or the 35-year-old parent teaching their children the faith? Or, or that 75-year-old, that 35-year-old back there in our children's department handing on that baton of faith? Well, of course we think about that. That's what we should think about that. But when it says children not even born, folks, it's talking about having a mindset It's talking about having a strategy that we're constantly positioning the church, thinking about how the church goes on to tomorrow, how that baton gets passed to tomorrow. It's hard to say why we get caught up and and get stuck just in today. It doesn't say that that generation of Joshua, just like that church at East Grand, it doesn't say they became liberal and stopped believing in God. It doesn't say that they they got stuck in sin. It doesn't say anything like that. Somewhere they just lost sight of passing that baton. And I think we need to be thinking bigger. We need to be thinking strategically about what that looks like. And again, we read that passage and our mindset is, how does the 75-year-old get it to the 5-year-old? It includes that. But folks, I think it's more like this. How does the 75-year-old pass the baton to the 59-year-old? How does the 59-year-old pass it to the 45-year-old? How does the 45-year-old pass it to the 29-year-old? How does the 29-year-old start thinking about this class that's graduating from high school in, in just a couple of weeks? Every generation is looking at, hey, there's a group coming up behind me. They're stepping into this level of leadership or they're stepping into this level of the community. How are we passing that baton? How are we discipling them? How are we helping them? How are we encouraging them? How are we thinking about the church the day after our funeral so that the church doesn't join us in our funeral? Folks, far too many Far too many churches in America are thinking about the church of today and why they're not more like yesterday. Far too many churches in America are pining away for the 80s trying to reach an America of the 60s. Guess what? That's all gone. It's 2020 out there. You see, when I, when I see children yet unborn, that challenges me not to think about how I reach the children of 2014. It says I need to be thinking about 2020. I need to be thinking about 2030. How are we positioning the church for its future? You know, folks, I think about that church at East Grand. And good people. They, they loved the Lord. They studied God's Word. They shared the Gospel. They, they worshipped. They saw their church growing. They, they saw their church flourishing. They saw their church reaching people with the Gospel of Jesus Christ, impacting an entire culture. Can you imagine telling them in the 1970s in one generation, and I'm using the biblical definition of a generation, 40 years Can you imagine telling them in in the 1970s, in one generation, this church will not even exist? That would have sounded like hype. Some kind of scare tactic. Oh, you know, you're you're just a fear monger. One generation, this church will not even be in existence. 
And folks, the bad thing there is not the sign coming down. The really bad thing is not the building being sold. The really bad thing is that evil accelerates. The church has to constantly be thinking about where it's going in the future. How it positions itself in the future. Now, for six weeks now, we've been talking about our core values, our values. And I like to say values. This is what's down deep. I like to call it our DNA. This is just what we are and, and, and what we do. And I tell you, folks, I really believe a big part of what's happening here is because we have valued these six things we've looked at and because we value the future. I think in our move from the, the old property to here, I think one of the things that impressed me the very most was our senior adults. And for a very simple reason, they lost the most. I mean, let's be honest, folks. While the New Testament never, ever, ever defines church as a building, when we think of church, we think of a building, don't we? And when we think of that building, we think of a lot of memories that happen in that building. Oh, my grandson walked down the aisle. My daughter walked down the aisle. They were baptized. They were married. Oh, remember mom's funeral in that building. Man, a church is a family and it's a place and it, and it comes with a lot of memories. That would be the perfect place to say the past is more significant to me than the future. And yet you never heard that or saw that in our senior adults. They were so excited, so unified, so energized about getting down here and, and being a part of this. And as a matter of fact, I heard a number of them say, I don't remember how many, it seemed like more than half a dozen Six, more, six or more individuals actually heard say this because of where they were in life, where they were in age back there in 2004, 2005. You know, I don't know if I'll ever move to that property. I, I don't know if I'll be alive when you move into that building. And yet they were praying for a building they might not ever see, giving toward a building they might not ever see, work toward a building they might not ever enjoy. That's positioning for the future, isn't it? That's saying I am more interested today in what my church is doing, what it is being after my funeral than before my funeral. Man, that's, that's what we mean when we say this is our values and this is what you've been, this is what you've been a part of as we've gone out there to Midlothian and established that campus. That's in the same vein. That's in the same reason that we're out there striving, stretching, trying new ways. How do we take this DNA, this kind of value that is not at all common in the church? Why? I don't know. I still struggle with that question. I didn't come to an answer this week. How does the church not get it that it has to be more concerned about tomorrow than it is yesterday? How does it miss that? And yet, folks, you look all over America and it's the burial of one church after another, just waiting for the last member to die. And this church has so valued the future, whether it's building buildings or, or going out and trying new ministries, reaching new ways to reach out to new communities with our, our, to carry our DNA and our values in how we share the gospel and how we worship our God. Man, I want to say thank you to this church. Thank you. But while we say, man, praise God, we've not fallen into that. Boy, let us ever be striving. Let us ever be thinking, what are we doing about tomorrow? 
What are we doing to position our church for tomorrow? For children, yeah. How are we presenting the gospel? Man, if you've been a part of our church any amount of time, you know what we give to our children, what we give to our youth. How our adults support and prioritize those ministries. But that passage challenged me to think about children not even born. They're they're not even here yet. How are we positioning our church so it's here for that baby that is born in 2027? We need to have that mindset. I'm not even sure as I look at these passages, it's it's all wrapped up in things we do or don't do. I think it's just a mindset. It is a mindset of constantly staying focused. We have to hand the baton. Yes to children, but how are the senior adults passing the baton to the median age adults? How are the median age adults passing the baton to the young adults? How are the young adults passing it to the youth? How are the youth? Don't see this as just something the older do. How are the youth passing the baton, setting an example, calling the children? Don't children look up to to teenagers? How are those youth passing that baton? Folks, when you hear that statement that we must prioritize the next generation, that's not a statement saying that younger is more important than older. That is a statement of saying we want to position our church to be a church that is impacting all ages tomorrow. The operative word is not ages. The operative word is tomorrow. Lest the church be buried right after us. Have we not worked too hard, prayed too hard, worshiped too hard, given too much to see it buried right after us? And even worse, evil accelerates. Let's pray. Father, our church has had a tremendous history. Whether it be down on the other end of the boulevard or up here on Jeff Davis or out there now in a theater in Midlothian. We've had a great history of worship. We've had a great history of preaching and teaching the Word of God. This has been a place that has been filled with people who were so ready, so willing to sacrifice so that the gospel flourished. Sacrifice so that the gospel spread and the church grew. Lord, we've seen some great days. And we know those days should be remembered and those days should be celebrated. But Lord, in that remembrance, in that celebration, may we not get stuck looking back God, I pray that each and every one of us, whatever our age, whether we're five or or 85, that we're burdened with how the church moves forward. We each and every individual, whatever age, are burdened for our personal responsibility to hand off the baton. How appropriate this message would fall on Mother's Day. Boy, as Dale said a moment ago, so often it's a, it's a mom that is seeking to hand that baton of faith 
a mom, a grandmother that is praying over those children, praying over those grandchildren for their well-being, for their salvation. Lord, may we as a church care for the children of tomorrow, children not even yet born, just like that mother, that grandmother cares for her children now. May we be burdened for a future beyond our walk on this planet. God, you've, you've let that be so. You've allowed for that in our church family to this point. May we be ever vigilant in it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.